Maintenance departments are not often known as the first place to implement new technologies, but as more companies emerge to aid in their processes, companies have to learn how to meet these teams where they are and guide them through a digital transformation. How can companies put themselves in the shoes of those they try to serve with their technology? In this episode, we invite Rebecca Rady to discuss the four stages of a maintenance organization she has observed in both the automotive and rail industries and how to meet these teams where they are and bring them to a new era of maintenance. Rebecca Rady is the product lead of apps and experiences at Shift 5. She's focused on ensuring that customers can easily extract key insights relating to the health of their fleet and individual assets. She began her career in automotive manufacturing at Mercedes-Benz and has worked in QA, data, and product management roles at multiple startups. Rebecca, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you. And um, I mean, we've talked a lot about extracting data off of fleet assets on the show for things like operations and uh, cybersecurity has been a really big theme. One of the things that I think we haven't really dug into is maintenance. And when we talk about fleet assets, which are very expensive assets that are required to generate revenue for businesses or if you're a municipal or federal government to do your mandate on behalf of the taxpayer, maintenance is a big deal. I mean, this is like a very expensive line item in the operating expenses of, of a business. And so I'm super excited to have you on because I know you have um, quite an experience in uh, thinking about maintenance for these systems. So I thought maybe we would start out um, with some of the basics, like what are the four stages of maintenance? So when I look at maintenance, I I try to look at the organization as a whole and just kind of figure out where they are um, and where they kind of want to be be and where they want to guide their their organization. So I've broken it down kind of like the good and the bad, Um, not necessarily the bad, but where they're starting from. So the first one is a responsive um, industry. So this is usually their coming in after the firefight has already occurred and they're, you know, trying to resolve things based on speculation. Um, they don't really have a whole lot of data to provide. It's, it's sort of a, I saw this happen and then this something else happened. And I, I think this is what caused the fire. This is what caused the breakdown. This is what caused whatever um, they're specifying. And then you kind of progress a little bit forward and you go away from being a responsive organization to being a little bit more reactive. So you can address these things as they occur. So you're not saying, oh, this happened at 3 p.m. three days ago. You're saying, oh, this is happening right now. We can get ahead of it and we can address it as soon as possible. Um, That's sort of the the place where I see people start and where they start to say, okay, this may not be the most efficient method. This may not be the most effective. How do we get ahead of it? And how do we start to become that more predictive, proactive, and eventually really the reliability industry. So then we progress from that reactive uh, mindset to a more predictive mindset. So they're starting to monitor these systems. They're starting to put things in place that are, you know, double checking once a week, once a day. How do we make sure that these things are, are tracked? How do we make sure that we're ahead of it? Um, and that's sort of where we're starting to see these these rail systems and some of these other industries get comfortable um, because they're starting to have that information at their fingertips. Um, But they're not necessarily at the point where they've got 
AI and machine learning and, and all of these other systems kind of supporting their, their industry and their organization. Um, but, you know, if we look a little bit downstream and we look at some of these uh, more mature maintenance organizations, we're starting to see reliability. Um, and it's that very proactive approach of, hey, this one caught on fire. Um, how do we sort of identify those key items that caused it to catch on fire? And how do we start to track those in other areas? Um, we're in the, the area of kind of transitioning to a predictive uh, mindset and then using our product to sort of create that more proactive reliability um, industry and organization. That makes so much sense when you lay it out that way. But I feel like a lot of folks who have, you know, assets that are prone to breakage might say, hey, look, if it ain't don't broke, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Um, And so like, you know, we'll just run it. And then when it breaks, we fix it. And then we put it back into service and we go from there. Like, why is that a suboptimal way of thinking about maintenance? It really ends up costing so much more money over time. Um, It's the run it to the ground, let it go, let it go, let it go. Um, And so now you're wasting time and money on coming in and figuring out what caused that issue. You're trying to make sure that you have enough parts in the queue and, and have enough stuff there so that you can fix whatever comes up. Um, I remember when I was at Mercedes, one of the things we were always talking about was how do we make sure that the stores are full of the correct items? So we don't want to have a backup motor for every single robot that's in the plant. That just literally does not make sense. We'd fill the plant with storage area. It just wouldn't really be a, a feasible solution. And so we were always trying to figure out how do we get ahead of it? How do we make sure that we can kind of keep a lean um, organization and keep a lean um, storage area so that we were ahead of all those, all of those um, breakdowns and ahead of what was going to happen next. Yeah. So it, it almost seems like there, there are two, at least two different reasons that you'd want to know uh, something is degrading, right? Like one is I, I think of just a simple thing of like the changing the oil in your car, right? Like you don't run your engine until it, uh, <laughs> until it ceases to work. You, you know, every 6,000 miles or whatever you, you change the oil. Um, there's a, there's an intuition there, which is like, well, is 6,000 miles like the right number? I don't know. Like everyone operates their engine in different conditions. Like some of it's a lot of highway driving. There's people that operate it in different kinds of climates. So maybe there's a smarter way of determining like when, when is the right time for you to change the oil? I mean, I think that's like one aspect of it. And then another, um, which is like a really interesting thread that you brought up is like, well, there's also just not, you know, changing oil, but there's parts wear out, you know, sometimes you have to sort of swap things out. Um, and because for a variety of different kinds of assets, you'll have, different parts that maybe are unique or require some lead time for the manufacturer to, to produce those for you and, and, and ship them to you. Um, that knowing that a part is going to fail, uh, ahead of time, say three months ahead of time, or that it's at risk for failure, you could maybe order that ahead of time and then have that come, uh, you know, and, and have it on hand for invariably when it's time to, to replace it. Um, and that can, uh, maybe not, prevent the part from breaking so much as reduce the amount of time 
between when that that thing is broken uh, to when you can put it back into into service. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've seen is the more data you can collect, the more you can build these really robust um, databases that contain all that information. So one great example, kind of going back to your first um, point, was Carfax has taken all of this information, all of this data from these cars and created a really amazing uh, database that you can reference and say, oh, you know, I, I drive a Toyota Sienna and I want to see when I need to go and replace my air filter. I mean, you can start to, to see those things. I, I think as we kind of build more of a knowledge share industry and, and more of that, like, everyone sort of talking to each other that all has KUKA robots or, uh, you know, how do we kind of get that that base level created so that we can start to um, get ahead of it and, and not have these breakdowns that occur and, and kind of cause a stagnation within the, the plant. I mean, when you're working in, a, in an automotive industry or when you're working in a, a rail, if you have any sort of system breakdown, there almost always is some sort of backup and countermeasure that you can rely upon but it's not going to be as fast. It's not going to work as well. Um, and so I think if we can sort of help some of these, these industries get ahead of it, um, they can run so much more smoothly and so much more effectively. Yeah, I, I, it makes a ton of sense. And in fact, you have a lot of experience with this in, in previous lives. Um, how was this developed and implemented in the automotive industry? So in the automotive industry, mainly I was working within the plants. And so we were learning that you could come in with these amazing suggestions, but if you didn't really think about your end user and you didn't go to the maintenance team and say, hey, here's an idea. What do you think? Um, and have them sort of poke holes in it. We just were not seeing the same success as when we really came in and work, worked alongside them. Um, one of the, the trainings that I went through while I was at, at the plant was with a company called AeroDTO. And they're a, um, a reliability training group out of Charleston. And it was so impressive to watch them um, kind of work alongside the maintenance team because they got these guys excited about, you know, ultrasound technology and <laughs> where are my bearings going to break down next. It was just such a different um it was such a different way of going about it that I had seen before. I mean, I remember us getting really excited about knowing that we could figure out when the bearings were going to break down. It was just such a, a different um, approach to it. Instead of people coming in and kind of saying like, hey, here's the end goal. We were saying, hey, what is happening right now? What are the failures you're approaching? What are the, um, the, the feelings that you're having around some of this stuff? And then they went back and they they kind of went through that same progress with the example of someone who had done it. And so, you know, they said this industry had a seal breakdown and they didn't know what was happening and here's how they solved it. And those kinds of, of opportunities where they were saying, here's your problem. Here's somebody else who had your problem. Here's how they solved it. And then here's how you can also solve that same problem. And then use these concepts to go and solve more problems and solve future issues. Yeah. And I mean, um, it's spoken like a, a true product manager. Um, I mean, I think the idea here is not so much, hey, can, is there like some science fair project that we can have about like collecting a bunch of data and then like training some whiz bag machine learning thing that's going to totally automate the entire maintenance process. It's like, 
tell us what your top three most important problems are. Like, when is it really, really bad when maintenance problems happen? And then like, given those problems, how do we draw strength from other folks who've done this in different industries to maybe like reduce the amount of time it takes to like get the parts that you need to replace that? Or are there preventive measures that you can take ahead of the breakage to sort of increase the longevity of, uh, of systems? Um, I mean, it's just like, it's a really, uh, it's a really interesting space to be. And I think that underpinning all of that problem solving is really data, right? All the time. I mean, once you learn how to sort of collect all that information that's in front of you and unlock it in a different way, you can just have such a more, a more robust experience and a much better experience. I mean, when we were implementing some of these reliability concepts <laughs> within our our robot cells and within the, the other areas, I could just see the way that the team like shifted in personality. Because one of the things that, that's really isolating, and I, I think it's something that people just forget about, is you're not the only one going through this. <laughs> there are so many plants out there that have KUKA robots. There's so many plants out there that are on a conveyor system. And a lot of times people think that they have to solve the problems all by themselves. And that's just not the case. I mean, that's just not the case in anything anymore. Everyone's solving different problems for different industries. And if we kind of look at how these other places are doing it, we can consider that as data for us so that we can figure out how to gather the correct data to actually create these better solutions and create these better processes. And I mean, actually, uh, sometimes, you know, of course, sometimes you can install new sensors onto systems and like you were saying, like have, you know, sonic readings or, you know, like do sort of like electrical signals analysis and all these kinds of like fancy things. Um, I feel like what's so interesting about the assets that we work on in, in, in fleets is that over the past 50 years, we've been replacing analog components with digital ones. And because these digital components, these sensors and actuators have to communicate with each other over these, over these data buses, um, actually that those data buses themselves contain like a richness of information that maybe um, we haven't tapped before, you know, like uh, the idea that this sensor is giving readings to, to this particular actuator so that this actuator can take uh, an action in certain kinds of situations is great, but maybe there are other uses for that sensor data, right? And so I feel like there's a whole frontier of possibilities where we can take all of the sensor data that's getting generated, extract features from it, and maybe use that data for um, for maintenance kinds of use cases that the original designers maybe didn't even intend uh, for, for the system to, to be using. I think one of the most exciting things that that I've done just working with data and, and working with some of this fleet health information is just taking the data and sitting down with the, the team. Um, because at the end of the day, you've got, you know, your sustainability and your maintenance and your operations and like actually sitting down and digging into it. I mean, they're going to tell you, hey, this just one little data point is going to make it so that I can report out to CARB or this one's going to make it so that I can, um, 
you know, figure out what our idling numbers so that we can reduce the amount of idling and, and drop our costs tenfold. It's just those little bitty data points that make such a large impact. And I think sometimes, um, probably what I'm getting to it the most is it's it's not complicated. <laughs> we have a tendency to throw around buzzwords and you know, we've got AI and machine learning and there's, I don't even know what 30,000 other things are. But at the end of the day, if we can get to those simple, tiny components that people have in their everyday job and, and they're always looking at, but just bring it together in a far more simple, straightforward solution, that's where we're going to start to really make changes and make shifts within the industry. I mean, that's the the area where I was seeing those changes happening within the, the automotive industry as we were just, we were kind of taking those complicated points out of it and just making it a really approachable, simple manner. Yeah. And sometimes um, it's as simple as just listening to the devices on these assets telling you that there's a problem, right? <laughs> I mean, we've had examples where, um, you know, the equivalent of like a check engine light will um, will will throw from one of these sensors. It says, hey, like we've got, you know, really high temperature for this, like for the water that's like operating in this system or like, hey, there's a there's a maintenance condition. You absolutely need to like clear this filter or whatever. And like we've seen examples where because the technology is sort of aging, you know, maybe it wasn't designed for an internet connected kind of uh, operating environment. These, these codes will get thrown, you know, maybe there's a visual display on, on a, on a system maybe. Um, but the expectation is that the, the operators of these systems have to go around and manually pull these error codes off of their assets um, and there's an opportunity to sort of take that to the next level where the, the moment that there is a reported error, like a known problem, um, like a self-check kind of a thing, that we can plumb that data all the way through to, say, a ticketing system. Uh, so, so now it's not a, a mer- like a manual, um, tedious, error-prone process where you've got to go and hook up to a machine and pull the data and like they write a ticket out. But it's just like within a couple of seconds, you can plumb the data from a self-reported problem all the way to a, a maintenance person who can see a ticket and say, oh, OK, we've got to bring this locomotive in or this, you know, uh, this asset in this, this, this maritime vessel or whatever it is uh, into the maintenance uh, facility to go do um, to, go, to go do the, the corrective action on it. Yeah, that um, is actually one thing that we've heard pretty frequently from some of our customers is, is how do we reduce the time on keyboards so that our, our team members can actually do what they want to do? The, the maintainers want to maintain. It's fun. It's fun getting out there with a screwdriver and a wrench and a hammer and, you know, kind of making things come together. It is not fun to be <laughs> sitting in there filling out the same ticket information over and over again. You can only type like, maintenance facility so many times after you're like, okay, my eyes have gone cross-eyed. I'm tired of doing this. Um, and, and I, I like being able to actually unlock these, these people's time so that they're not sitting there and doing the the input that they don't want to do. And they're, um, being utilized so much better <laughs> and they're so much happier and they stay longer because they're doing the things that they want to do. Um, I think that's just, it, it's all those little opportunities that are out there that we can unlock and we can kind of 
open and, and make a cooler, um, even more fun job for them. Absolutely. And, and I think like, um, you know, a lot of these asset intensive industries like, you know, the military or um, aviation or locomotive or maritime, like these, these companies are starting to hire data scientists and software engineers and people who um, are very technical. And I think like the big challenge for them is being able to like get access to data sources that are the fuel. They're the like sort of primordial ingredients for them to be able to do amazing things with that data. Because like at the end of the day, being able to be a great maintainer or a great operator requires deep subject matter expertise in like whatever industry you're operating in. But just right now, there's no way of listening to the machines that run their business because they're closed systems. They were never really designed for this digital age where you've got software engineers and data scientists that are on staff to help you solve problems. Um, They're not connected to your corporate IT network, you know? And so a huge challenge, I think, is being able to put systems on onto these assets to be able to pull that data back and make it available for these super smart folks to apply years and years and decades of like subject matter expertise in that industry to that data and then solve real problems like, um, like figuring out when there's a maintenance issue and getting ahead of that. So to your point, uh, the maintenance folks can do what they're great at and that's maintenance, not, you know, sort of typing, uh, typing commands into a clunky keyboard and having to walk around all these locomotives or manually write out tickets and things. I think there's, there's, there's so much that we in the tech community can do to, to make those, um, uh, to, to elevate those folks to be able to do the job that they're great at. I think another thing, and yes, there's lots of people out there that have been doing this for decades. And, but we also have to remember that these are very flexible markets. Um, so you know, the 2008 crash came around and the automotive industry was really large portions of it were decimated. Um, I, I know that personally that the, automotive industry is actually a flex industry now. So they pull people in, um, in kind of a need people basis. And I've learned that the train industry is actually fairly similar. They have people um, that have been there forever. And then they have people that are coming in. Um, And and with these sort of, uh, with this data and with this information, and by working with the people who have this really great, deep knowledge of the, the, industry that we're working in at that time, um, we're able to sort of help take all those little, uh, you know, the stories that they've put together and, and those little tidbits of information that, you know, if you hold your screwdriver at a 45 degree angle instead of a 90 degree angle, you're going to get in there way better. Uh, (laughs) but by taking those little things that just don't really get shared, um, with it, with a broader, broader audience, we're, able to create tickets that contain the information that, that have those little tidbits of, you know, we are, um, we're making it so that someone can come in and, and essentially within two or three weeks start making an impact. They're, they're not having to rely and go to the head maintainer and say, Hey, what are you doing? How do you do this? What, what am I, what do I need to do next? They're able to like go in and actually maintain the vehicle and take care of them immediately as opposed to having to wait um, to make impact. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's so much 
good that we can do uh, by modernizing some of these assets that are going to be around for decades and decades and decades um, so that the folks that are operating and maintaining them can um, can can really focus in on on what they're great at and, and, and craft their expertise. So, uh, Rebecca, it's been it's been great to have you on the show to talk a little bit about maintenance. And I, uh, I hope that we can have you on the show again really soon. Thank you so much. This has been great. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planes, Trains, and Tanks. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review. To learn more about Shift 5 and our products, visit our website at shift5.io or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.